All right, hopefully you remember that we've been uh, preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew uh, 7, verses, uh, oh, hey, let me say this. Janelle, you're here. This is Biff's daughter, Janelle. And did you notice, do you see the big space back here for the, where they're going to bust a hole through the floor? That's where we're going to put the Biff lift, named after your dad. So anyway, sorry I had to say that. But anyway, Matthew 7, uh, 1 through 6 may be uh, one of the most enigmatic things that Jesus ever said. Some would argue that the last verse, verse 6, doesn't even belong in this location. But I think if we remember that Jesus has been talking about clear eyes, remember, clear eyes for hunting treasure, and if we realize that the pearl is the world's oldest gem, and uh, many viewed it as the most valuable, the greatest uh, uh, gem, well then what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 1 through 6 might make sense and even make sense of us. So let's pray. Lord God, we ask that you would make sense of us with your word. We pray that you would help us to preach and God, it just seems like insane to me that you would ask someone like me to even talk about you. So I thank you for your spirit. I pray that your spirit would apply your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Chinese man and a Jewish man were eating lunch together. Suddenly, without warning, the Jew got up. He walked over to the, the Chinese man and he just smacked him across the face like this and he went flying across the, the floor when he gathered himself together, astonished. He, he looked up and he said, what was that for? Pearl Harbor, said the Jew. Astonished, the Chinese man responded, Pearl Harbor? Pearl Harbor, I didn't have anything to do with Pearl Harbor. It was the Japanese that bombed Pearl Harbor. The Jew responded, Chinese, Japanese, Taiwanese. It's all the same to me. So they sat back down again. And before too long, the Chinese man, he, he got up all at once, walked over to the Jew, smacked him across the face, sent him flying across the, the restaurant, and the Jew yelled out, what'd you do that for? The Titanic, said the Chinaman. Well, I didn't have anything to do with the Titanic, said the Jew. I didn't have anything to do with the Titanic. Goldberg, Feinberg, Iceberg. It's all the same to me, said the man from China. I don't know if that's a true story. But this is true. We all like to judge. It's how we make sense of the world, right? It's how we gain some measure of control. It's actually how we construct a psyche. People are rather hard to control. Don't know if you noticed that. And so in order to fit them into your psyche, it helps to judge them up front. That way you can put each one in a category or, or a box, like a tomb. If life is, is a competition, you see, you can judge others to be last so that you and yours, your family, your tribe, your race, can, can be first. If things go wrong, you can convince yourself that you are right by judging others to be wrong and, well, and maybe even taking vengeance. Judging others is how we protect our own psyche and we avoid pain, psychic pain, like confusion insecurity, guilt. So if you ever go to war, you definitely want to judge a man before you shoot the man, or you'll experience some psychic pain. You want to judge him evil so you can judge yourself good. We all like to judge. It's why we all lust after the knowledge of good and evil. It's why we all like religion. It's why young people often go into the ministry in order to get the tools for, for judging, administering judgment and protecting their own psyche. In fact, if you find this sermon convicting, you can just judge me an infidel and protect your psyche. That's religion in, in this world. The Jews were definitely taught to judge between the holy and the profane. The, the pig 
was the most profane of all animals for the Jew, but, but probably the most despised was the dog. When, when a Jew talked about a dog, they were not thinking Benji or Beethoven, they were thinking the animal that ate, ate the corpse of Jezebel, or the animal that would lick up the blood of a man condemned to die and hanging on a tree. Pigs and dogs were the worst, except of course for once a year on the Day of Atonement, and then it was the goat, or actually two goats, the sin offering and the scapegoat. Uh, you know, one goat was, well it was sacrificed, it was sent uh, to the fire, it was sacrificed and burned in the fire, the sin offering. The other goat bore the sins of Israel into the wilderness of Azazel, uh, the scapegoat. The high priest would confess the sins of the people over the, the scapegoat and then send it into the outer darkness, outside the camp, on the other side of the wall. Sociologists like Ernest Becker, Rene Girard, they've argued that, well, this is how you make a society. This is how societies are formed. We find a scapegoat, a person, a, a better, a, a group of people, like, you know, the blacks or the, or the whites or the Democrats or the Republicans or the Chinese or the Jews or the Samaritans or, or the Gentiles or the non-Christians. We find them and we label them, blame all our problems on them, then send them to hell never to return. That's how you build a church. Or, they would say, or, or a society, a, a, a nation. You label the goats, the pigs, and the dogs. You, you send them to hell, and then you say, they're on the other side of all, we're, and, and we're good. Now, now we're good. Anyway, Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. <laughs> wow. I mean, that verse ought to make, make us pause a moment, right? You know, Jesus spoke about the outer darkness more than anyone. But you realize who he spoke it to? He spoke it to people that cherish the idea of outer darkness for their enemies. Don't treasure hell for others. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Treasure, treasure to yourself in heaven, said Jesus. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Did Jesus ever confuse you? I mean, how can you not give dogs the holy? and not give pearls to pigs if you don't know who the pigs are and who the dogs are. I mean, wouldn't you have to judge in order to know that? Well, judge in verse one is the Greek verb krino. It's also translated decide, determine, or esteem. Judgment in verse two is the noun krima. Those two are related, and, and it can imply condemnation, but it means decision, it's a choice. When you pick a babysitter, you judge. When you vote, you, you judge. When you name something, you judge. You know, every word that you speak, every word is a judgment, it's, it's naming something that you experience and then putting it in a category in your, in your psyche. Just, just to see something is to judge, it's, it's to decide. So what is that? Is that a man looking to your right? Or is that a man directly looking at you? Some may look and see black. Some may look and see victim. 
Some may look and see Jesus, but just by looking, you make a judgment. But is it the right judgment? In John 7, Jesus even commands us to judge. He says, do not judge by appearance, as literally by face, but judge with just judgment. That means right judgment. To be human is to judge. We can't help it. It's like we've already taken knowledge from the tree. Well, in verse one, Jesus doesn't simply say, don't judge. Did you notice that? He says, judge not that. Ina is this little word in Greek. Judge not in order that you be not judged. That is, judge not if you don't want to be judged. Well, who wants to be judged? How about everybody? Daddy, daddy, did you see how high I just jumped? Mommy, did you like my picture that I drew? Did you like my picture? Judge me, O Lord, cries King David in Psalm 7, verse 8. Psalm 67, let the nations be glad and sing. For you, God, you judge the people with equity. Every time you ask, what the hell is going on? You're pleading for judgment. If you've ever had a friend accused of a crime, and you're pretty sure that that friend is innocent, but they're being tried in a court of law by a human judge with a human jury and human witnesses. You know what it is to long for just judgment, the judgment of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, St. Paul, exhausted with the sheep. He writes, with me it is a small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. That would be pre-Judice, right? Prejudice. Prejudice. That would be prejudice. Did you realize that the statement, you are forgiven, is a judgment? If I say to you, I forgive you, you would rightly ask, for what? And in order to tell you, I would have to pronounce a judgment on something that you did. And my forgiveness would also be a judgment on your bad judgment. Not that what you did was good, but that I decided not to demand reparations for your bad judgment. That would be my judgment. Jesus just told us in the last chapter, listen closely. If you forgive others their trespasses... Your Father will forgive you your trespasses. If you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I think that's another way to say with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure you give is the measure you receive. So anyway, we're asking, who would want to be judged? How about a carpenter with some sawdust in his eye? You know, Scripture says that Jesus was the son of a carp carpenter and that he was a, a carpenter, which means that he grew up around a lot of sawdust. If you've ever got a piece of sawdust in your eye, you know that you immediately you look for someone to help you get it out of your eye because you can't see. It's in your eye, but you know it's there because it hurts like hell. You immediately look for someone to judge you, but not just anyone to judge you. You look for someone you can trust. I would look for Susan. Or maybe one of my closest friends, like Andrew or Alan or, or Mark or, 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 or Vince. Or I'd look for someone that I, that I could trust. When it comes to judging me, I want someone who really knows me, someone who has compassion on me, maybe someone who's had a speck in their eye, but they have that speck there uh, no longer, someone who won't condemn me. In other words, someone who won't compete with me because they identify 
with me. Preferably someone who would die for me. Uh, that is for us because me and them is us. They identify with me. I want someone I can trust for there's one thing that's more painful than a speck in my eye and that's having a speck taken out of my eye, especially if it's gouged out of my eye by someone I don't trust. With our eyes, we construct a psyche. That's the thing that you call your life. It is your judgment of reality. Remember, God made the psyche at first, but we took over construction. A speck in the eye is like a lie implanted in your psyche. You can't see it, but you know it's there because it hurts. I think we often call it sin. That is a lie embedded in our psyche or flesh. It's a wound in our flesh. Well, according to Jesus, you don't have a speck in your eye. You got a log, you got a log in, in your eye. If Jesus is talking to you, you have a log, because in verse three he says, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? You see, he assumes that we all have logs, or the log in our eyes, which is like sin in our lives, and it's so much sin, it's downright comical. Log eye, you're a log eye. Reminds me of a night long ago at Red Robin. Elizabeth was about two. She turned to her brother John, who was about three, and had like a speck, a speck of um, ketchup on his nose. She pointed at him and she said, why you do that, John? It was just so hilarious because as Elizabeth pointed at John and judged him, she just had ketchup smeared all over her face. I mean, it's like buried in ketchup. And why did she do that? Why did she do it? Well, because she couldn't see her own face. Adorable little idiot. You know, if you actually had a log in your own eye, you, you would be blind. All you would know is that everything hurt like hell, which reminds me of our world right now. Everyone hurts like hell, and they're not sure why. So what do we all do? We look for specks in our neighbor's eye. We argue about masks and funding or defunding the police and whether or not someone said the N-word. And Jesus says, you got the log in your eye. I suspect he's laughing and crying because he knows it hurts. And in fact, he feels it every bit as much as you. He feels it more than all of us combined. It's fascinating that in verse four he doesn't say a log in your eye. Did you notice that? He says the log. You have the log in your eye. Ten, ten dokon. It's, it's as if he's talking about a particular log that isn't actually a, a log. Dokos is literally translated beam. That's a tree that's been killed and then cut by a carpenter into a beam in order to construct something out of that tree that was once alive but now dead. Skulon's another fascinating word in Greek. It can be translated tree or beam and sometimes refers to the, to the cross. I, I think he's saying you got a beam in your psyche. And then he asks us this question. So why are you looking for specks in your neighbor's psyche? Well, Jesus, perhaps because we're blind. We're too terrified to see because we think it would probably kill us if in fact we did see. So we worry about who it is that's wearing a mask or voting for Trump or voting for Biden or saying the N-word or masturbating to porn or drinking too much beer when each of us has taken the life of God on a tree in a garden. And not just once. But every time we try to create ourselves, save ourselves, justify ourselves with the knowledge of good and evil, that is the law. In fact, every time we use our knowledge of good and evil to judge our neighbor, we also judge our Lord and take his life on the tree, which is also taking our own life on the tree because he is the life and because the judgment you pronounce is the judgment you receive. 
there's a log in your eye. And it's the very same log that's in everyone's eye. It's the lie of the snake and the sin of Adam. It's the wound in the psyche of Ha'adam, humanity. So what are we saying? Number one, don't be so quick to judge others' sins because you got a beam in your eye. Number two, let Jesus judge your sin. He is someone who knows you. He even lives in your skin. He has compassion for you. According to Paul, he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, says Isaiah. He doesn't condemn you, not the real you. He actually is the real you. And he's already died for you. Let Jesus be your judge. Let God shine the light that is Jesus. Let Jesus point out the beam in your psyche. Let him point it out. He said, if anyone would be my disciple, he must pick up his cross, his, his beam, and follow. Perhaps my cross, my beam, is, is the beam in, in my psyche. It's every place and in every way that Jesus has suffered for me because I nailed him to the tree. Well, anyway, is that beam, is that cross, is that, is that tree in your psyche, is that a curse or a blessing or both? A beaten naked man nailed to a tree, is that a curse? or hidden treasure, or both. Body broken and blood shed, is that a desecration? Or is that holy? Well anyway, we were saying, number three, surrender judgment to Jesus and not a law guy, not a dog or a, or a pig. And Jesus now says something that seems to indicate that Matthew just like inserted this verse into his text for no reason, or perhaps Jesus is seeing something that we don't see or we're just beginning to see, let alone believe. Verse five, take or get that log out of your eye. Then verse six, do not give dogs what is holy, literally the holy thing, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So, so what is the holy thing? Well, from the flow of the text, it would seem to be that beam, which seems like a curse, but he also seems to refer to the holy thing as a pearl which is actually a blessing, actually the greatest treasure to be found in this dark and dirty world. You find, you find pearls in, in blood and oysters buried in mud in the depths of the sea. So anyway, what is the holy thing? And now this is utterly wild and astounding, but I think definitely worth pondering, and I think Jesus says this stuff so that we would ponder. Leviticus 27, 28. Every, everything, every devoted thing, harem, it's a noun in Hebrew. Every uh, thing devoted to the Lord is most holy to the Lord. That word harem is also translated devoted to destruction because devoted people were killed and burned in the fire, but it means devoted. And, and devoted things like the gold in Jericho were to be placed in the temple treasury. It's really the most astounding concept. The Canaanites were to be killed not because God didn't want them, <laughs> but precisely because they were holy to the Lord. Devoted things were holy and treasure to be treasured in the temple, which was the presence of the age to come. In the temple was the holy of holies, which contained the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant where the Holy One of Israel would manifest between the two cherubim. Two cherubim, just like the two cherubim that guarded the way to the tree of life in the middle of the garden, Exodus 26, 34, the most holy place. 
The devoted things were given to the high priest, and our high priest is, is Jesus. The high priest would sprinkle the blood of sacrifice on the atonement seat behind the curtain. Devoted things were most holy, and Leviticus 6:17, the sin offering and the guilt offering was most holy. He made him to be sin. That's the sin offering. Who knew no sin, writes scripture. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, prophesies Isaiah. Jesus is our sin often, and Jesus is, Jesus is our scapegoat. We don't need any other scapegoat. Jesus is the scapegoat. Jesus is our high priest who sprinkles the blood of the most holy thing in and on the most holy place and is most holy. Psalm 51, David writes, the sacrifice the Lord desires is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. I'm saying that the holy thing is our sin surrendered to Jesus. The holy thing is Jesus Christ and him crucified on the tree. The holy thing is body broken and blood shed. The holy thing is a slaughtered lamb now standing on the throne of God. The holy thing is your confession, which reveals the mercy of God that is God. Your confession. Don't give dogs what is holy, lest they turn and attack you, said Jesus. See, dogs don't value what is holy. They just consume it. So don't simply surrender your sins to a bartender, or a prostitute, or a psychic, or a psychologist, or a pastor. Surrender them to Jesus. And oh yeah, he does show up in bartenders, even prostitutes, sometimes even pastors. But let Jesus judge, that's what I'm saying. Let him judge. Why? Because for him, your confession is treasure. For the dogs, it's just food to feed their own ego, their, their own psyche. You know, there was a time in my life when I felt like I was the leader of the pack. And I, I kind of thought that others wanted to follow me because they, they loved me. But I began to bleed. I think I was sharing the holy thing, that I am not the savior, but God is the savior of all. I began to bleed and some began to feed. It was shocking to me, but it shouldn't have been. Look out for the dogs, writes Paul in Philippians. Evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. He's referring to circumcision. He's talking about religious folks that like to judge others as last so they can pretend to be first. Those who exalt themselves by humiliating others. Those that feed themselves by devouring their neighbor's psyches, their, their lives, the dogs. The scribes and Pharisees claim to worship the Lord, right? I mean, you go, those are, the, those are friends of the Lord. Look how religious they are. They, look, they seem to, to worship the Lord on Palm Sunday. Great crowds followed the Lord. They blessed him as king. But then when he began to believe, they all began to chant, crucify, crucify, crucify. And then just as prophesied when he began to bleed, they began to feed. Psalm 22, verse 16, the dogs surround me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. That's the psalm Jesus quotes on the cross. Well, I recognize the dogs, because I am one. I feed on other failures, on others' failures to, to build my own psyche. That's a dog. Perhaps all of us are dogs. But that raises a fascinating question. Did Jesus give dogs what is holy? You know, he didn't simply say, don't give dogs the holy thing. Just like he did not simply say, don't judge. He said, don't give dogs the holy thing 
lest they turn and attack you or devour you. Dogs devour and pigs trample. Dogs think the holy thing is dinner and pigs don't have a clue as to what it is, kind of like the Gentiles. He said, don't give dogs the holy thing lest they turn and devour you. And Jesus, Jesus is the holy thing. Did he know that they would devour him? Yeah. And did the dogs devour him and the pigs trample him? Well, yeah. But you might ask, well, did, did they take his life or did he give it? Did he give the holy? He said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. They didn't take it. He forgave it. That's his judgment. The Holy One of Israel, enthroned on the tree, cries, Father, forgive. And, and then he bore the sins of the world into the wilderness and the fire and then delivered up his spirit. And at that, one of the pigs, one of the dogs, a pig dog, dropped to his knees and confessed, saying, surely this man was the Son of God. Over and over and over again, Scripture tells us, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to the glory of God. So what was that man kneeling at the foot of the cross? That was the pearl. I think the pearl of great price. The pearl for which the merchant paid the highest possible price. The treasure buried in that field of, of mud for which Jesus gave everything. You know, in Matthew 13, Jesus tells of a man who sold everything to buy a field with buried treasure and a pearl merchant who sold everything to buy a pearl of great price. People will sometimes say, well, Jesus is the treasure and Jesus is the pearl, but we didn't pay for that pearl. And we don't pay for that treasure. We don't find the pearl or the treasure. He finds us. Jesus finds us. Jesus is the pearl merchant who pays for the pearl with his own body and blood. Jesus pays for the pearl and he even makes the pearl. How? With his own body and blood. The pearl actually is his body and blood. His body like a, like a living stone. And now let me remind you how God makes a pearl. He finds a mollusk in the mud in the depths of the ocean which for the Hebrew was the realm of the dead, then in the flesh of that mollusk, that, that oyster, he places a, a speck. Seems like an accident, but maybe not. To the mollusk, it feels like a curse, but it turns out to be a blessing. We all have a wound in our psyche that feels like a curse, but we'll be transformed into the greatest blessing. We, I think we call it sin. We can't see it because at its core, it's, it's really nothing but a lie. But we know it because it hurts like hell. Well, in response to the wound, the oyster secretes a substance called nacre. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, or nacre. But it's calcium carbonate, calcium carbonate secreted in these beautiful parallel crystalline, crystalline structures that reflect the color of the rainbow once the pearl is taken out of the mud and placed in the light. It's, it's truly a living stone, or the best that we could conceive of, of a living stone. It's the treasure of the deep. You understand, around the speck, God wraps a pearl. A pearl is God's judgment upon our own bad judgment called sin. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, wrote Paul. And I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses that the, and he talks about a wound in his flesh. Remember, all the gladly boast of my weaknesses the power of Christ would rest on me. When you confess a sin, you surrender that to God's judgment, and God's judgment is Jesus. Around your sin, God wraps the righteousness of Christ. Christ in you is the pearl of great price. Right now, and to you, it may look like only a, a speck or a log. 
But the Lord of the Sabbath, who is the end of time, he knows what it is. It's treasure. That thing you most want to bury in the dirt and, and in shame, that womb that feels like a, a tumor in your chest, he, he knows what it is. It's treasure. And you will treasure treasure to yourself in the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's treasure. It's your, it's, your new, it's your new self. So what are we saying? Number one, don't be so quick to judge others' sin. Number two, let Jesus judge your sin. Number three, don't let dogs judge your sin. They'll eat you up. Don't let pigs judge your, your uh, sin. Uh, they can't recognize treasure. Let Jesus judge, for he transforms specks into pearls and pig dogs into treasure. Number six, let Jesus judge you with grace, and you will become the judgment of God. It's important to notice that Jesus doesn't say, Take the log out of your own eye and stop worrying about the speck in your neighbor's eye. It's not love to watch a friend drink himself to death or a neighbor abuse their own children and do nothing. Jesus doesn't say don't concern yourself with your neighbor's sin. Instead he says get that log out of your eye. Let me judge you so you can see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. That is, the judgment you receive will be the judgment you pronounce. And that judgment is how you are used by the Creator to create pearls, make pearls. It's the judgment you pronounce. But even more, it's the judgment that you are. In other words, you don't have to go around judging people. You are the judgment. In John, Jesus says, I judge no one. And right before that, he says, all judgment has been given to, to the Son. God's judgment is Jesus. He is the judgment. God's judgment is Jesus, and you are his body. The name means God is salvation. You see, just his presence reveals that Peter is not salvation. But Peter is saved. Just his glance crucifies my ego, sets me free, and turns me into his pearl. You may remember that the kingdom of God, the New Jerusalem, is made up of living stones. And it has 12 gates, and each gate is a single pearl. Your testimony of God's grace on you, surrounding your speck, your log, your testimony of God's grace on you is a pearl and a gate. It's an open door, an open door to those in the outer darkness. Outside are the dogs, declares the angel in the Revelation, and the doors are always open by day, and it is never night there. Above the 12 gates are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. Talk about sinners saved by grace. You read about those guys in the Old Testament, how they ended, I mean, that's, that's amazing. And on the foundation, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I've always wondered if one of those names is Judas. Or maybe Paul. Karl Barth points this out brilliantly in his Church Dogmatics. But if you pay close attention to the book of Acts, well, Paul looks like Judas risen from the dead. Pharisee of Pharisees, but... I mean, I mean uh, 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 Judas of Judah, Pharisee of Pharisees, but, but, now, but now the apostle of grace. You could argue that he, Paul, was the, the biggest door, right? And, and definitely a pearl. He called himself the chief of sinners. He says, the worst of them, me, chief of sinners and the apostle of grace. The judgment he received was the judgment he pronounced. Romans 3.22, all have sinned. That is, everyone's got the log in their eye. All have sinned and all, the Greek as you understand, it's the same group of people, all have sinned and all will be justified. That means made right by his grace as a gift. That means everyone is a treasure. Everyone is a pearl under construction, even if I can only see at this time a speck or a log. Several years ago, my friend Kate shared this vision at one of our, of our services. She stood up and she said, I saw a huge oyster shell that was open. 
A piece of dirt then fell in. I, I then saw a drop of Jesus' blood fall on that piece of dirt. A pearl began to form that got bigger and bigger and bigger. It ended up a huge, pure, white pearl with no sign of the dirt that had started the process. I believe that the Lord is saying, as you allow my blood to cover the dirt in your own heart, I use the irritations, the conflicts in your life to mold you and transform you. Receive my forgiveness so you can forgive each other and reveal the treasure in you, Jesus, my pearl of great price. So what are we saying? Number one, don't be so quick to judge others' sins. Number two, let Jesus judge your sin. Number three, don't let the dogs judge your sin. They'll eat you up. Number four, don't let pigs judge your sin. They can't recognize treasure. Number five, let Jesus judge you for he transformed specks into pearls and pig dogs into treasure. And number six, let Jesus judge you with grace and you'll become the judgment of grace. And, and number seven, you are the pearl of great price. You're the body of Christ. Charday sings this song that is like stuck in my head for decades now. Um, means the world to me. It's titled Pearls. And I can't really sing it, but, it, but these are the lyrics. There's a woman in Somalia scraping for pearls by the roadside. There's a force stronger than nature keeps her will alive this is how she's dying she's dying to survive each grain carefully wrapped up pearls for her little girl she cries to the heavens above there is a stone in my heart she lives a life she didn't choose and it hurts like brand new shoes and then Charday just starts singing hallelujah over and over and over again. You see, I think she's saying that that stone in that woman's heart looking for food for her daughter, that stone in her heart is a pearl. <laughs> it's faith and hope and love. It's the judgment of God. It's Jesus. And it means so much to me because once once God took a stone out of my heart, and I think it was a pearl, I've told you about it m many times. Years ago, I told God that I was gonna leave the ministry because he didn't talk to me, and it just hurt too much, hurt too much. I, I didn't know it, but I had a wound in my psyche and sin in my heart. Not a speck, but a log, and check this out. I had no idea that it was there. I heard God say audibly, Peter, you don't love my bride very much, and I was a pastor. You don't love my bride very much. In an instant, I knew that I had gone into the ministry because I hated the church, and I wanted to judge her. I hated her because of what I'd seen her do to my dad. He was tried on the floor of the Denver Presbytery at a church in downtown Denver and removed because he wanted to preach the gospel. Well, that day that God pointed that out to me, well, it was like, it felt like he reached into my chest and found a tumor or a stone and he just pulled it out of my chest. That very same night, he showed me that he was absolutely everywhere loving me more than I could possibly comprehend. I mean, I was the chief of sinners and dearly beloved by God. After that incident, I was like unable to worry. Seriously, we talked about anxiety last week. I was unable to worry for like a month. But over the next several years, I, well, I began to worry. I began to feel the wound once again. Twelve years ago, everything that they did to my dad, they did to me, but, but worse. And it felt like in some way God had put the stone back in. And yet, I was beginning to see what it was and what it is. It's a pearl. I find it pretty easy to love you, the individual, I really do. But I sometimes really struggle to love this thing called church. But now I know what it is. And check this out, it's way bigger than I once thought. It's not just the Presbyterians that I can fit in my own psyche. <laughs> 
It's not my church. It's every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them praising my Father and the Lamb on the throne. I can't fit that kingdom in my psyche, but now I think I fit in that kingdom. And so I, I must say, even though it kind of even scares me to say it, that I really am becoming grateful for that old wound. For without my wound, I wouldn't know who I am. And I wouldn't know who I am is. I wouldn't know Jesus in me, or Jesus in you, the pearl of great price. And I would not enjoy the outrageous party that is the kingdom of God, even if it stood in front of me and slapped me in the face. <laughs> so Jesus. Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. And he took the cup, saying, this is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. So look, this is a, this is a wound caused by our sin. And look, we're all gathered round, sort of amazed by grace, like a pearl. I'll never forget that in the very room I saw my father so wounded by the church, the auditorium at Central Presbyterian. In that very room we formed the sanctuary and began to worship. So you see, you really are the pearl of grace, great price, and, 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 not, and not little, but as big as a kingdom. And so, uh, if you're at home, if you're here, we invite you to come to the table. And what is it that you're bringing to the table? Well, you're bringing yourself, your psyche, and you're saying, God, would you judge me? <laughs> Point out the log, point out the speck. Just judge the hell out of me and judge your heaven into me. Wrap your grace around me. And, and if you're aware of something, and we are only beginning to be aware, but if you're aware of something, we'll confess it to him. Don't hide it from him. That's the evil one's trick, that we would hide the speck. But, but just say, well, God, here it is. Get, just, you, you can't even fix it. You just tell him, here it is, and then you tear off a piece of bread, or I'll explain what to do if you're here, dip it in the cup, and, and you apply Jesus. You receive Jesus, the body and the blood. His righteousness wrapped around your sin. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So if you're home, we invite you to tear off a piece of the, your cracker, or whatever it is that you have, and dip it in the cup and partake. If you're here, we ask you to come forward to the table and you can pick up one of the little cups, take it back to your seat, take off your mask, take um, the little wafer out, drink the, the little cup, and participate in the life of Christ. And you see, it's, it really isn't a little thing, but this is a huge thing. This is what people of faith do all over the world and what we will really do for all eternity, commune in grace, the great banquet. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. So our Father, we thank you that you spoke your word, our Lord Jesus, and now we choose to believe that you love us and even that choice is a gift from your throne. Well, I think it's the pearl, the pearl for which you pray, paid the, the highest possible price, Father. So thank you, amen. Well, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been telling us that God is our Father, 
And then he speaks this word, and I'm a father. And I have to say that my treasure in this world, my greatest treasure, would be my, my four kids. I've been thinking about it, because they're like spread out over the world in other states now. And if, if I ask myself, well, why are they your treasure, Peter? What is it that you treasure about them? What, where was that treasure would be? Well, I think of, I have these moments. I have, I have four that I can name in my head right now, but I can't really share with you because they're too precious. They're too intimate. And this is the amazing thing. They're these memories of these moments. And, and it wasn't like our vacation to Hawaii. It wasn't it wasn't graduation. It wasn't some kind of achievement. The treasure is not some achievement that they have, but in each of them, it's, it's a confession. A moment when each of my kids came to me and they, they shared something really painful. So it's not like I wish more of it on them, and yet this is the weird thing. I go, That's, those moments are my greatest treasure now. Because in those moments, they entrusted me, their father, with the wound. Isn't that weird? But I would give everything for those moments, that, that treasure. And, and I'm not, I don't think I'm a great father, but this is my point. You have a great father. And this is the point of every sermon. I want you to trust him. He wants you to trust him. Maybe I do a little bit. Maybe that's a little bit of the pearl in me. But the lie of the evil one is, well, you hide that speck. You hide that log. You run from him. But I'm talking to the deep places in your heart right now, and I'm just saying you can trust him. You can trust him with the speck. You can trust him with the log. And, and he, even, he does even show up in people. They're never the final arbiter, but he shows that he lets, us he lets us participate in his judgment. That's the crazy thing. He calls us to judge. And do you know what that's called? Preaching the gospel. It's a proclamation. In the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven you. Isn't that amazing? Our dad wants us to be a part of, of that. That's, that's pretty cool. So in the name of Jesus, believe the gospel, and you'll become the gospel. Amen.